So I'm gonna start with uh, another poem, and this time by Nandutara Bikuni. So those, you know, those nuns, they have lived around the time of the Buddha. So those poems are about 2,600 years old. And they are the oldest anthology of women's literature. They're called the Terigata. And that's a contemporary adaptation of those poems. And she's called Nandutara, Bikuni, Greatest Joy. I spent most of my teenage years running from one bed to another. Any sign of warmth would do. Each worked for a while until they got possessive or mean or boring or I did. Then I got new friends, shaved my head and started eating once a day. During the long lonely nights that followed, I would remember all the nice warm bath all the late nights and long mornings, waking up next to beautiful warm bodies. One night, shivering on the ground, I started to cry. It's not fair, no matter what I do, the other thing always looks better. Listen, my heart, I know how exhausting it all gets. Don't give up until you are ready to give up for real. And I think, you know, that's what those four foundations of mindfulness are all about. You know, to get ready, to give up for real. And that giving up is not a willful act. But this giving up is a response, a natural response of the mind, which has seen the way things truly are. Without any judgment, you know, there's nothing about things are bad and that's why I don't want them or something like that it's just no you know look at the anatomical parts of the body are they really beautiful probably not and that kind of cools certain obsessions and then you know looking at the elements you know is this body really me myself a separate entity in a hostile universe or is it actually a process, you know, which is in constant exchange with the environment? It's actually not self. And then looking at the mortality of the body, you know, can you control your body? Yes, a little bit, you know, but in the end of the day, it's impermanent. And when we really allow that to sink in, it gives us a sense of relief because it's kind of counterintuitive, you know. If we are not doing those practices and just thinking about them, we might think, oh, you know, it's really scary to think that I might die one day. But if you really do the practice, it translates into a kind of relief, which is letting go. And that's really another you know, crux of the practice, letting go, as I said before, and as Nandutara Bikuni, you know, was extorting us in this uh, poem, she was saying, you know, don't give up until you're ready to give up for real. So that means, you know, just keep going with the practice because there's different stages, you know. At different times, practice goes, is easy and smooth and at other times it can be very, very scary and depressing and, and frightening and, and everything else. So, and not giving up, to just go 
going through those different layers of uh, conditioning and washing them away by showing the mind the way things truly are through the meditation. So just let us look at the document together a little bit. So it's called The Four Foundations of Mindfulness. And, you know, there's a lot of speaking about mindfulness these days. And, you know, mindfulness is an open receptivity to the way things are. And it's, it's in the Pali language, it's called Sati. And Sati is a, is a female noun. So it's, it's an it's a attitude of receptivity which gives birth to new perspectives, you could say. You know, that receptivity to the way things truly are is changing us. So the practice, you know, which the Buddha has left us with is prescriptive and not descriptive. So he doesn't tell us the way things are, but he gives us a toolkit so we can find out for ourselves the way things are. And that uh, is changing us. And you know, and mindfulness is is a is a spacious way of looking at experience without judging. You know, judging in good and bad, or wanting and not wanting. And if that judging is happening, to make that also part of what is known. Oh, you know, I have a resistance to this, or there is a attachment to that. So that can also be part of what is mindfully known. And, you know, the illustration of mindfulness in the scriptures is like a cowherd, you know, sitting in the shade of a tree and watching the cows after the harvest. You know, he doesn't need to be on his toes to make sure that they don't go into the field and eat the crop because it has already been harvested. So he just sits there in a relaxed manner under the tree and knows, you know, the cows are there. I don't need to worry about anything as long as they are there and he counts them and he knows the cows are there and then he can just be at ease. That's that kind of awareness, which isn't kind of, you know, on, like a cat in, in front of a mouse hole. It's not that kind of an awareness, wanting to catch something, not wanting to miss anything. It's not like that. It's a spacious awareness. And the four foundations of mindfulness are four areas of experience which we all share, which we can use, you know, to train the capacity for mindfulness. This is the patanas. They are sometimes called the four pastures, four areas. And, you know, and these four foundations of mindfulness, this training, uh, gives us instructions, you know, how to pay attention to particular features of our experience we usually don't pay attention to. And there are specifically designed methods, you know, to, to explore our own experience and to see, you know, that our own experience are basically natural forces working through us as the elements, for example, impermanence, 
and all of those different qualities. And, you know, we are starting where we are right in the present moment. And, and then slowly but surely, you know, the whole process starts to um, reveal itself to us. And to, a, you know, to a letting go of assumptions about the way things are, but just allowing truth, you know, to show us, to allowing life to speak for itself. What is it? Skin in our experience. What is, you know, earth in our experience? Direct experience, not just, you know, the word, the concept, the intellectual thinking about it, but what's the direct experience? That's the point here. And then through that direct experience, you know, we're getting more and more liberated from these assumptions, which are, you know, can be compared with when you're wearing a, a tight shoe and it's painful walking, you know, you just take off the shoe and you can walk. It's like that. Take off that assumption and relax into the way things truly are. And these four foundations of mindfulness, they help us to do this. So, you know, the first one is the contemplation of body. That's the somatic experience, which is like heat and cold and pressure and weight and hardness and fluidity, all of those experiences. And then the second uh, contemplation is contemplation of feeling tones. There are only three, pleasant, unpleasant or painful and neutral. And all of them are impermanent. And that's really the point, you know, to see that impermanence. And the contemplation of feeling tones is intermediary between the body and the mind. Because there are bodily feelings but there's also feelings in the mind which don't have a bodily a component. But what they all share, they are all impermanent. And uh, the next one is the contemplation of the mind. And, you know, the mind is that which knows the feelings. The mind is that which knows the body. And, you know, there are three uh, main groups, is a mind with desire and a mind without desire, a mind with aversion and a mind without aversion, a deluded, distracted mind and a mind which is not deluded and not distracted. But all those mind states, all those, you know, moods of the mind, they are what they all share, they are all impermanent. And, you know, and, and the mind with desire is, you know, the experience of it is we want more of something. We want to grasp, we want to hold on. A mind with aversion is wanting to push experience away. And a mind with deluded distraction is like just ambling around, you know, not quite knowing, you know. And then they always, they have also a, a feeling component. A, dis a mind with desire is probably, you know, chasing after some kind of a pleasant feeling tone. A mind with aversion is turning away from an unpleasant, painful feeling tone. And the deluded, distracted mind is probably not capable, you know, of uh, seeing that there's a neutral feeling tone. It's not quite sure what to, 
what to do. So they are very strongly connected. And what they all both share is the, the, the uh, impermanence. And so, you know, the body is the somatic experience, the feeling down, the affective experience, and the contemplation of the mind, the cognitive experience we have. And then we come to the fourth foundation of mindfulness, which is ma contemplation of mind objects or principles of ex experience. So that uh, foundation of mindfulness relates the earlier three foundations of mindfulness to conditionality. So for example, I know we have a body with its anatomical parts and you know made out of the elements which is going to die one day and there are sometimes pleasant, unpleasant and neutral feelings arising and an untrained mind you know meets them with either desire aversion or delusion and then you know if we start to see that more and more clearly we we can see how those foundations are mutually uh, conditioning each other and what we see most of all is the impermanence of that process, that there's a constant change happening. And you know, to pay full attention to this, the impermanence of this process, this is what is liberating. Because once we really see for ourselves that the most pleasant and the most unpleasant experience, what they all have in common is they are all impermanent. They are all unsatisfactory unreliable and they are all not independently arisen once that is really seen very deeply the mind adjusts to that true seeing and the adjustment of the mind is a letting go a stepping back not in in the way of suppressing or you know turning away but a, a true relaxation and letting go that's the natural response of a mind which has seen the way things truly are. And that's what those four foundations of mindfulness are wanting to provide us, that true seeing of the way things truly are. And then the response of the mind is something we don't need to make happen because that's gonna just happen by itself. It's the same, you know, when you are, you know, for example, touching a hot plate Nobody has to tell you to let go. You're just going to let go because you don't want to hurt yourself. You see that it's that grasping which is burning you. And that's the same, you know, what a trained mind has seen that this grasping is painful. Because that which is constantly changing cannot be grasped. It can be grasped, but it will have a painful result. Once that is really deeply seen, then the letting go is an automatic response. And that's what I'm speaking about on this sheet, you know, at the bottom, progression of insight. You know, seeing impermanence leads to fading away of passion, this passion. And then this passion leads to cessation, to complete letting go and not clinging. 
and letting go and not clinging is the synonym for the summum bonum of the Buddhist path, which is uh, nirvana or nibbana, which means nothing else but cooling, you know, the going out of the flame of grasping. And the fourth foundation of mindfulness on the PDF here, you know, is uh, displaying the the five hindrances. Um, point number six are the five hindrances. These are the five ways, you know, how the mind can uh, engage in attachment to things. Sensual desire, anger, sloth and topor, restlessness and worry and doubt and therefore each of them there's a there's, there's several antidotes you know how we can in the beginning part of the practice we we do work with antidotes and then later in the practice when we have more capacity for mindfulness and awareness we actually no longer need to use the antidotes but we just stay really mindful and then through staying mindful with those hindrances and they are not hindering us in the sense of you know not being able to uh, get what we want in the moment but they are hindering to see what is wholesome and they're hindering us to see clearly you know the difference between the wholesome and the unwholesome what's wholesome for ourselves and what is wholesome for others. So we still, you know, we might go ahead and, and go shopping and, you know, uh, indulge in different things and, uh, you know, distract ourselves. But we, you know, we are acting out of uh, blindness, so to say. You know, thinking that we can find happiness in in certain things which not truly are able to give us happiness and so they're hindering that clarity and then you know when we start to work with those hindrances consciously we are developing the awakening factors that's point number seven and mindfulness is the foundation of those awakening factors and then there is there are three energizing awakening factors investigation energy and joy and three calming awakening factors tranquility stability and equipoise and once you know those awakening factors have been perfected that is another way of saying you know that full awakening has been uh, realized when those seven awakening factors are fully developed and the hindrances, you know, are temporary and they can be used as a material, you know, for developing and strengthening and perfecting those seven awakening factors. And uh, let's see. Yeah, and there's a beautiful poem also I want to share with you on this. Again, by Bikuni Chenta. And she speaks about the seven awakening factors. Chenta means conqueror. I was forever getting lost until one day the Buddha told me, 
To walk this path, you will need seven friends. Mindfulness, curiosity, courage, joy, calm, stillness and perspective. So he uses a bit different words uh, than I use here, but they are the same seven awakening factors. For many years, these friends and I have traveled together, sometimes wandering in circles, sometimes taking the long way around. There were days when I thought I couldn't go on. There were days when I thought I was finally beaten. It's scary to give all of yourself to just one thing. What if you don't make it? Oh my heart, you don't have to go it alone. Train yourself to train just a little more gently. So that says very clearly, you know, it's not about forcing the mind into this kind of a practice, but encompassing and embracing everything and making it your practice, you know. If the mind comes up with a version, then that can be known. If the mind comes up with you know, attachment and desire, that can be known. And it can be incorporated into the practice because it is like everything else. It's impermanent. You know, skin, flesh and bones, earth, water, fire and wind. And these bodies, they are impermanent. Feeling tones are impermanent. Mind states are impermanent. The hindrances are impermanent. And the awakening factors until, you know, they are not uh, developed to their full perfection. They come and go. But we can train them, you know, but with gentleness and with open-mindedness. They are, you know, in, they are like little buds in our mind and through the training we can bring them to a flowering. And you know this template of the four foundation of mindfulness is all about supporting that flowering, which is natural, because we all have those uh, seven factors of awakening in seed form, in bud form already in the mind. Because you know, for any worldly tasks, actually, you do need a certain amount of mindfulness. You need to have some interest, investigation. You know, if you learn an instrument or even learning to drive a car, if there is not interest, you're never going to get there. Then you need to put in energy. Then, you know, there is, when you put in energy, there is a, an amount of joy which comes from doing something well. And then, you know, if there is some am amount of joy there, then the mind and the body get tranquil because they, you know, there's a certain amount of satisfaction there then that tranquility brings a stability of mind. And then, you know, through a stability of mind, we can see clearly, which brings equipoise. And then if the mind is, is balanced, there's more capacity again for mindfulness. Then there's more capacity for investigation and so on and so forth. It's like a spiral, you know, going into the depths of... Uh, the way things truly are, you know, bringing us a wider and deeper experience of life and, you know, feeling more here, so to say. 
feeling more part of this cosmos, this life, and that gives a sense of uh, ease, you know, in the sense of feeling that we are really where we are supposed to be. Because it's not about uh, location per se, but it's about how we are where we are and how we are doing what we are doing. So that the quality, you know, we are bringing to everything. And this training of the Four Foundation of Mindfulness really helps us to peel away layers and layers of uh, ignorance and giving us the opportunity to, you know, to flow more with life. Because there is less fear. Because there is more clarity about the way things truly operate. For example, in terms of the elements, you know, once we have really understood how much we are part of this nature, it's a different way of being there. So... And of course, you know, this process goes always hand in hand with there's certain phases where we go through a lot of suffering, you know, when certain layers of delusion gets peeled away, that can be painful. And it's just part of the practice. And, you know, to allow that vulnerability to be revealed, because uh, this vulnerability is uh, our capacity to adapt. You know, that's why Homo sapiens has you know been able to live live in so many different situations on this planet because you know we do have very vulnerable bodies but this vulnerability also gives us a great capacity for invent you know inventiveness and uh, you know to overcome limitations because this vulnerability is necessary for transformation to happen. Because if our minds are not getting sensitized to the way things truly are, there won't be no insight, you know. So we have to it. We have to pay the price, and we need to go through this transformation process. And and the word apathy, you know, means is is a Greek word and comes from the Greek word. Patern, which means to suffer, and apathy means you know to be not being able to suffer. Apathy is 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 not something good, you know. Suffering or you know or or sadness and and confusion and uh, different stages in the practice can bring up you know when we need to let go of old ways of seeing can bring up all of this difficult emotions but then it's really important to go through the grieving of letting go of these old ways of seeing because you know this turning away and 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 refusing to go through the grieving of the letting go it's it's to our detriment it just keep, keeps us stuck you know so apathy means you know not being able to suffer and this is not a good thing it's important to suffer and suffering is impermanent. As long as we are holding on 
to ignorant ways of seeing, we will suffer. And we need to experience it really consciously because then the mind will respond with letting go. So this is why we have to allow that process to be completed, you know, not shutting down prematurely or turning away, you know, into eating something, drinking something, shopping something or doing something, you know, to not feel. That's why this contemplation of feeling downs is a very important foundation because, you know, to feel how it feels and to know that it is impermanent. This is the key. It's not about turning away from the feeling, but to be with the feeling and allowing it to cease when it's time. And sometimes, you know, if something is very, very painful, of course, we do something about that, you know, take a medicine or have a, speak with somebody about it, but not immediately, you know, kind of aborting the pain, but just learning to you know, become more resilient. So we have more capacity to really be with our experience as it is. And then, you know, we can move through those perceived limitations and expanding the heart and the mind until, you know, a complete expansion, which is the realization of truth, a full realization of truth. You know, when all the walls in the mind basically are coming down. And there's this mind which is open, which doesn't need to manipulate life. And then, you know, our true nature is revealed as nature itself. Then we are not experiencing ourselves as separate from life. Because we are not, you know. It's just a projection of the uninformed mind, which thinks, you know, I'm this little person and I have to be careful that I'm not going to get harmed. This is just a very, very small, contracted way of looking at life. And then, you know, it's a, it's a, a relief from the drama of uh, me. And there's more and more an experience of flow and, and a sense of purpose, really. And wisdom and compassion uh, you know, the two sides of the coin of what is developed. Wisdom is, is an insight into the way things truly are. And uh, it's not a body of knowledge, but it's a way of meeting experience, really. To see the bigger picture. You know, whatever is happening, we always know in the back of our minds, this is also impermanent. The most dreadful experience and the most wonderful experience, what they both have in common is they are both impermanent. They are both unsatisfactory in the sense of that they are not lasting. And they are both not existing from their own side. They are just a coming together of causes and conditions. And then, you know, if wisdom is really developed, then this knowing is always there. 
together with the experiences also that knowing is always there and then on the other side is the compassion you know which is the wish you know may all beings have insight into this truth may all beings be free from suffering that's a natural response of the heart which has seen which has gone through this progression of insight has seen impermanence and then through that clear seeing fading away of attachment is the natural response you know leading to a capacity to accept endings to accept the way things truly are things have a beginning a middle and an end it's not a drama and then there is this letting go the not clinging and then you know the life opens up wide and i think you know that's uh, you know what we all want and it's just the way how we are going about that is can be rather deluded and uh, i think you know that's what i what i wanted to share with you today and uh, and we can just like take a few minutes you know to let that sink in what i've just said thank you for listening to learn how you can support the teachers and dharma seed please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate